Welcome to the Macomb Israel Teacher's Lounge podcast, where we connect students and listeners to what's happening in Israel and give you insight behind the headlines. I am your host, Michael Unterberg, here as always with co-host Alan Goldman. How are you, Alan? Good, thank God. Okay, good is good. Well, today uh, we're going to discuss the <laughs> growing frustration within and without the Haredi community uh, with regard to COVID restrictions. And we have back friend of the podcast, Chaviv Retegur. How are you, Chaviv? You know, all things considered, lockdown with four little kids, I'm doing okay. COVID okay. That's, the, that's, that's the, what I'm telling people. That's the call, friend. Right. Yeah, what else are we going to say? I'm miserable? Right, exactly. I mean, it's true. Everybody knows when you're saying you're okay, that really everybody's just going crazy, so... It's, it's know, COVID okay. Okay is crazy. I really mean it. Yeah. yeah, I say COVID okay. That's what it is. I'm COVID okay. Yeah. For COVID, I'm okay. Yeah. Uh, listen, Chaviv, Matt and Alan and Benji have been telling me we have to do an episode about the Haredi situation. That's what all the Israelis are talking about. So our listeners need to be part of that conversation. And I said, you're right, but we've discussed it a little bit. It's come up on the podcast. And I said, I, I don't know what I can offer new or insightful or even positive or constructive. I don't want to bellyache. I don't want to invite a Haredi to complain. I don't want to invite a Haredi to defend and justify. And then you wrote an article last week and I said, oh, okay. Chaviv has, here we go. <laughs> Let's have on Chaviv. He'll talk about it. He's not going to defend it, but he's going to help explain it. And, and, and hopefully... We'll talk about what it means going forward, and, 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 and it won't be totally soul-crushing and depressing. Is that too much pressure? Yes. It might be soul-crushing <laughs> and depressing, but okay, well, usefully soul-crushing and depressing. Oh, okay, yeah. I, I, I find that uplifting. Like when I have a better understanding, at least that brings me some relief. It's like making wine. You got to crush the grape to make some good wine. So, <laughs> yeah. okay. So, so Chaviv, you were talking about, and and you you started the article really with a particular incident in the Knesset from uh, Moshe Gafni, and that was yeah. sort of your kickoff point. And then you explained why. So, can you just, if you could just uh, for the listeners, I'll, I'll put a link in the in the podcast. But for the listeners who haven't read it, can you just relate that incident and what it got you thinking about? Yeah, it, it was actually an astonishing moment um, of ridiculous populism. And that was very, very interesting because Moshe Gafni of United Torah Judaism, of Degila Torah, of the Lithuanian sort of thoughtful, yeshivish Haredi Judaism, not Hasidic. Um, among the Hasidim, you have people like Eichler, and, and others who are very, very populist, they say ridiculous things, they accuse reform rabbis of fomenting the Holocaust. It's, Hasidism is a very strange world unto itself, um, and sometimes it's represented as in the Knesset, do it a disservice. But Moshe Gafni is one of the most thoughtful, serious, uh, calm, witty, one of the funnier members of Knesset. He's the chairman of the Knesset Finance Committee for many, many years, and he's a very serious person who has the backing of his rabbis and, and in, in that United Torah Judaism coalition and does not stand up in the Knesset and scream. And mm -hmm. on this particular day, he stood up in the Knesset and he shouted at the top of his, vo of his lungs 
Um, and he went overtime. He had to be told that he was going overtime by the person managing the, the, the plenum at the time. And what he shouted was, I just have the quotes in front of me, um, This, you're only bringing this bill, this legislation, to vilify the Haredi public. Now, what was the legislation? The legislation was to increase fines on schools and on various other public institutions that violate the virus restrictions, the lockdown, and violate them, you know, egregiously, openly, ridiculously. Um, and to, to double them to something like 10,000 shekels uh, per fine, um, which is, what is that, $3,000 roughly. Um, and he says, how dare you bring this bill? You're just bringing it to vilify us, to slander us. And then he says... It's not our fault. Now, what's not our fault? What's not our fault is all these Haredi schools that are open, these mass Haredi funerals that are taking place, these Haredi weddings that are happening in Haredi wedding halls on a pirate basis because this is completely Ill illegal right now. And, and not only is this happening, but they're... The, the infection rate among the Haredim in Israel is sky high. And not only is the infection mm -hmm. rate sky high... Uh, their elderly are dying at something like two to three times the rate of non-Haredi Jewish elderly. So they're, and, they're, and leadership, leadership and is dying. Major mm -hmm. rabbis, one after another, and each one causes a mass funeral, which also kills more people. Right, they're which is just a spreading event. And he, he screams on the, from the plenum, it's not our fault. And then he delivers this line. He says, he, you, you is everyone else in the Knesset and all the subcultures of Israel that they represent, who sent us to live in these crowded conditions. It's your fault. And that was, um, again, what was astounding was that it, was, it came from a serious person. It came from a person where when he speaks, mm -hmm. I, I automatically listen. And, um, and he really, and, and he knows he's telling, saying something stupid. Um, it's sec absurd, secular but Israelis it's psychologically revealing. Deeply. Secular Israelis did right. not force Haredim to have 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 kids, did not force right. Haredi men in double-digit percentages not to join the work, <clears throat> excuse me, not to join the workforce, did not cause all the, all the factors, the cultural factors that lead them to poverty and to very dense, you know, living conditions and to real struggle with, with the pandemic. So that, that was the incident. And from that, I tried to unpack just how much anger and just how much anxiety and just how deeply they're aware of how they look and how much their own internal discourse is, is just completely obsessed with this and swept up in this. And they're talking about nothing else. Um, it was, it was, a, it was a moment. I, I you know, I, I heard it. I then went to Twitter. I shared it on Twitter because <clears throat> that's what we journalists do. Mm -hmm. And then as I watched all the angry reactions, from secular Israelis and even from some Haredi Israelis, mocking Gafni and mocking the Haredi failure generally, my heart broke because they mm -hmm. are really failing profoundly and they're failing in London and they're failing in New York. This isn't something mm -hmm. where you can blame the Haredi political leadership in Israel for their communities. You know what I mean? It's something deep cultural. Right. That's, that's, that's what happened. And I, I had to tackle it in a more serious way because it, I think it's a bigger failure than than we see it. It it moves from something you can just be angry at to something that is really a, an enormous tragedy. It, it, and and you know, Alan, you've pointed out that part of the problem isn't just like in the article. What you really lay out, Chaviv, is because.
because they have those large birth rates and because uh, because their apartments are crowded, they live a lot of their life in the outside world, whether it's kids in schools or adults in yeshivot. And so they end up spending so much time outside and gathering. And Alan, you've noted a, a number of times on the podcast that it has also to do with culturally, especially in the Hasidic community, your whole social life is wrapped up in these big communal could you just remind, could you, I don't remember exactly how you expressed it, but you were talking about culturally, yeah, especially I mean, in the Hasidic world. Yeah, yeah, certainly in the Hasidic world. But I think it, it's very hard today now, I think, culturally to, to really distinguish between the Hasidic world and the yeshivish world in that sense. Because the yeshiva has, has almost now mirrored, mirrored in many ways other social structures in the Hasidic world. You know, if you want to talk about the Rebbe's Tish or those things, you see mm-hmm. those in the Yeshiva world today. But in general, the, the part of it is, you know, you could say it's environmental because they have small places and lots of kids and going out. But also it's all just, just the culture itself is based around uber, uber communal, you could say, right? Where everything takes place there. So whereas the family is, is an important institution in the Haredi world, uh, it's at least paralleled, you could say. Uh, at least paralleled, and maybe if not more, by the communal structures such as the shiva or the or the shul, the shtibol, the shul, the you know the synagogue, all, all of those functions where most of life happens there, right? And for in, mm-hmm. and again, now there's all, there's all kinds of nuances between the different places, but in the Hasidic world, for example, you know the the, the go home for dinner. Right, at, you'll go to davening. You'll go home for dinner, but then you'll leave out an hour later and go back to the base midrash for the rabbi's tish. Right, for the gathering, the Hasidic gathering that happens at night, and you'll be there for a few hours. You know, so that, that that's on a Friday night. So most of us are used to. Oh, if you're living in a religious world, let's say if you're living an Orthodox lifestyle, you're used to. Okay, you go to synagogue, you go home, and then you eat, unless there's some kind of special function. But that's it's in the Hasidic world. Certainly, that is not 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 the same case. And the same thing on Shabbat afternoon. Hours are spent in the Beit Midrash and in the synagogue, and much less time at home. Those are just a couple of examples to show how their life is really culturally happening different um, than the rest of us. And just one more point is to add to that, because I saw uh, on YouTube a class by Rav Tamir that was given about this subject. And he goes even further to point out that, you know, in an insular world, they're living in an insular world, Tamir Granot, sorry. Tamir Granod, Tamir Granod, Roshiva, they're living in an insular world where many of us have maybe a menu of values. And they're, but they're, in their insular world, their main value is to pass on their lifestyle, that their child should look exactly like them in their Hasidic group or in their yeshivish group or whatever group they're in. That is their main function. And the way to do that is through education. So for them, it's not just, it's almost for them in their, again, from their perspective, Having the schools open is not just a matter of, you know, it's very important. It is a lifeline. It's existential. It is central. Right. It's existential. Very good. It's existential. And it's a lifeline and the key part of their entire worldview. Um, so, We're willing uh, to sacrifice you know, some it, lives if it means rescuing our lifestyle, which we think right. is, the, is the method of preserving Jewish tradition and, and identity. Yeah. And Rav Grenot went on further, I think he said it well also. Yeah. Well, he said he said, is, is he that said true? it too. He gave a nice analogy. He said he said a nice analogy. I'll just, I'll just finish it then. Right? One analogy was that like, well, we all know that some people are going to die on the roads. 
right? But we mm-hmm. still keep driving. We don't stop driving. Right. So they they understand, right? And so you don't know that this right. exact person, like right? if, if if a person would ask the rabbi, listen, I've got you know this condition. Should I go to the Beit Midrash? No, but we're talking about the whole community here, right? So in that sense, mm-hmm. that they're making that 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 kind of uh, decision, right? Just like we say, someone's going to die on the roads, but we still keep driving. So that's one. The second thing that I think uh, was also very insightful um, was the. And uh, no, I just forgot; just slipped my mind. <laughs> You'll get it. So, It'll pop back yeah. in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. But so, why? Uh, why? Yeah. Why would that? Why would that be, Chaviv? Why is that? Why do spokespeople for the community not just say it outright? Guys, you have to understand us. This is who well, we no, are. First of all, I, I think everything Alan said, I completely agree with. I mean, that that is their sort of implicitly. This is one of the areas cal- where Alan's really an expert, also. So that sounds yeah. to me, I, yeah, I, you know, that, that is their yeah. calculation, and I, I focused on the sort of sociology or the economics of it, right. you know. You right. don't. You you literally yeah. don't have enough rooms in an apartment, in a Haredi apartment. You, a city like right. Beit or Modi'inili, two Haredi cities that are one hundred percent Haredi, um, they have a median age of something like twelve. Uh, literally, that is the median. I don't remember if one is eleven and a half and one is thirteen and a half, something like that. That is the literal. That means families average nine, ten children. Average. That right. is an incredibly right. young right. population. And the the apartments aren't terrible. These are new, relatively new cities and relatively new apartment buildings. Um, but they're terrible if you have ten kids. It doesn't matter how many bedrooms you have. Three bedrooms. Oh, but, is, and, and even that's even on an Israeli scale. To Americans, they already seem small because Americans spend so much more time in the house. It is already part of the Israeli right. lifestyle to spend right. more time out of the house. To spend more time out of the house because of those numbers. Yeah. Right. But I completely agree. Everything um, Alan, you know, said and, and everything you said. It's it's it's, yeah, it's also complimentary. Cult, it's yeah. cultural and it's religious and it's part of the life and it's part of it. Um, but but they they so I. There are two sort of there are two sort of thought patterns that have come up um, on this point that I think is are happening. There are two ways that they explain it to themselves. One is they just say, "Look, I, I can't close yeshivas for a year. I'll lose five percent of my kids. They'll go off and be secular or some terrible thing like that." Now that sounds like an odd way to think to us, but it's how they build their institutions and their lifestyles. So it, it the, those mm-hmm. build keeping those fences around their social grouping is what Haredism is. That's why they wear funny clothes, to make it harder to leap out, to leap across the gap mm-hmm. and to keep the in-group in. Um, so that that is part of what they think. But the other thing is they've, they've become so, um, you know, we're 10 months into this. Back in Pesach, back in March, April, um, the tishes were closed, mostly, mm-hmm. in most places. And, 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 and the, 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 the yeshiva's closed for long periods of time, weeks at a time. Um, but it's just, it's gotten to be so long now. And, and, and mm-hmm. so many parts of Haredi society have just failed. They've failed to keep these institutions closed. Parents need these. We have, we have these unbelievable um, evidence that, that we have from police and from journalists walking around Masharim and other Haredi areas of parents and School principals conspiring to quietly open the schools on a pirate basis mm-hmm. while telling the children, if you see police, run out the back gate. We've seen it on TV. We've seen them running out mm-hmm. the back gate. Um, they just they are desperate. And once you're desperate and you already feel like you're not going to be able to stay closed anyway, then all the, the justifications come in. The human mind was built to justify itself 
to the rest of its society right. because we're such social animals. And so you automatically and innately just self-justify. And then we start to hear that. So I, it's a chicken and egg thing. Did they fail and then look it's for It's complimentary. I think it's all... Oh, yeah. we love our institutions. Or can they really just yeah. not stand the idea that their institutions will be closed? Well, in a sense, what, what you're making me think of, to paraphrase another saying from another context, is Haredim are really just like everybody else, only more so. <laughs> yeah. Right? Because everything you're yeah. describing, I get, but for them, it's much more much more intense. Yeah. Oh, you got it? Because what Chaviv yeah, uh, said, what I, so he said what I wanted, what, what was my second thought, but just to, to just put it uh, in these words is that when it was, it seemed like it was for a limited amount of time, there was much more cooperation. Mm -hmm. Now, nobody knows when it's going to end. It's just going on and on and on. And the government, right? And we, we were talking about this before recording, you know, even though vaccinations are going great, they're talking about now a fourth lockdown and it's going on. So, they have no idea. And we have One, no trust that they're going to figure out what they're doing. Or And the, and the, the Haredi world the same way. No trust. And while it's become this open-ended thing that nobody knows, so right. all, all bets are off, you could say, so mm-hmm. to speak, or all cooperation. Again, again, there are those... We're talking about now the, you know, a, a very um, a very dynamic world that is not mono, you know, monolithic, where... It's very heterogeneous. There's all different sub-communities. And we, are, we, we paint right. it with a broad brush, but it's much more complex. That's so important. Because there are Even some that are, the are... Sorry. No, I was just going to say that there are those who are, are very much, you know, schools are closed, yeshivas are closed, and they're, you know, safe distancing and all those things. So And they're suffering too. They're suffering. Yeah. Right. And, then, and they're also suffering of like, oh, people are mad at me, but we're actually doing the right thing. Right. A lot of the Mizrahim, yeah. a lot of the, the Shas Haredi mm-hmm. institutions... Yeah. Uh, have been closed and obeying all the rules. Right. And that's half of the Haredim of Israel. So right. Right, we have to think to ourselves, somewhere between 40 to 70%, depending on the, the, the lockdown and depending on the period and depending on the institution, something between 40 to 70 are obeying. And on the other side, of course, among the rest of Israel, 20% are disobeying there too, right? So... There's, and the authorities are not doing much enforcement on them. And they and the authorities have have proven unable to be right. at all consistent or serious or right. communicative or in any way helpful to us in any of these lockdowns. I feel I, throw, I feel bad for the police. I also do, but but partially it's because the government is so inconsistent that their that yeah. their orders are in, their 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 marching orders are inconsistent and it's very draining. I want to throw out a different way of looking at it, and I want to know what you guys think of it. This occurred to me. You know, we're very, we're, we're very trained, for whatever reason, when we're doing, in our social political discourse to talk about things that are left and right. But we're less equipped to deal with things that just aren't. Like, this is its own little bubble. And I, and I was thinking, mm-hmm. look, in the United States, they have two groups of Haredim now, and they're dealing with a sort of similar dynamic. You have the Maga Haredim, and you have the Woke Haredim. And by calling them Haredim, what I mean is, I, I think we have to stop, in my opinion, they're not the extreme right and the extreme left. They're off the right or the left. They have their own principles that don't totally buy into the ideology of the, of the institutions of the state. Neither of those groups really believes in, in liberal democracy, its principles, and the constitu- how the Constitution lays out that those things should be ordered. Whether it's the woke world can't, not wanting free speech, we have to shut people down. Whether it's the MAGA world saying, 
we don't have to follow the electoral college, whatever it is, you have these now subgroups that don't buy into the basic idea of the state. And so you have, it's very hard for democracy to function. That's what we're experiencing. It's not just that it's when 10% of your population, and in Israel, it's, you also have other communities that don't believe in the Declaration of Independence of the State of Israel. They don't believe in what it claims. They don't believe. And so they view the institutions with distrust and they don't feel bound other than fear of punishment to play along with those institutions. And here in this case, the Haredi community is built on the idea that the outside world is already trying to destroy us. So they have an additional level of not only not buy-in, but real distrust. Like the, the, they're, they're making these rules to vilify us, to blame us, to, to oppress us, to, 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 to take away our lifestyle. It's this fear-based thing. And so modern democracies are now challenged without... I don't know if this is because of multiculturalism, but modern democracies are now challenged with, since we're not a melting pot anymore, we're mosaics, where we have tribes and bubbles. Well, what happens when huge segments just don't buy it? How does that work in a system? That's, I I don't know how to begin to chip away at that problem. Am I, am I making any sense at all? Is what I'm saying? You're making a lot of sense. I I have to say though, I'm very comfortable with, that situation as an Israeli. Um, it might because. be new to America, and for America, it might be the beginning of the collapse of everything. I, I don't know. I, 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 my education about America and the meaning of America and the theory of America and the sociology and the Constitution is a high school education, I have to admit. I went to high school in Wisconsin. But uh, a good high school, but still high school. Um, still, Wisconsin, a good high school. That's pretty good. One of You're the in. best in America, uh, actually, rated by Red Book Magazine, I think it was. Um, but, um, but uh, you know, in Israel, that we've been doing this from day one. We've yep. only ever been tribes. I don't know if you guys noticed. I think we talked about this in the past. We don't have a democratic institutional framework constitution we don't have a right to free speech in israel written explicitly in any law or a right right to free religion or a right to free assembly or a right to a free press until 2017 a british mandatory law written in 1933 that gave the government the right to close any newspapers for for essentially on a whim was still on the book somebody happened to notice Mm -hmm. and the knesset overturned it in 2017 (laughs) but now nobody had even had even seen or thought about this thing since 1953, I think it was, with a Supreme Court case about an interior minister tried to close down a Stalinist newspaper that had said something really mean against mm-hmm. the government. But nevertheless, we don't have we don't have um, the institutions and the constitution and the framework. We don't have separation of powers in any meaningful way. We don't we have the simplest electoral system in the world, probably with our you know single con- single constituency that elects only the Knesset on a party list system. Most of the members of Knesset are not elected in the primary. Uh, I think going into the 24th Knesset, there will be exactly five MKs elected, in, <laughs> assuming Labour gets in, about five mm-hmm. MKs uh, who will have passed through a primary process on the way to getting into the Knesset. So we're electing lists where essentially the party leaders, even in Likud, where there are primary processes, even in Likud, yeah. it's essentially the party. So uh, we don't have anything that you would think of as, except for the fact that we have tribes 
and a lot of tribes. And no tribe has ever been a majority. And we have this coalition system that forces tribes to all negotiate together at the coalition table, pulling each in their own direction. No tribe wants to sit in the opposition. If you do sit in the opposition, you're still defended by the tribes. It's astonishing how many times the Haredi parties come to the defense of, of the Arab and Muslim communities uh, because mm-hmm. they know that whatever they let the Israeli right, Jewish right, do to the Arabs, mm-hmm. eventually there'll be the secularists of Yeshatid and Israel Beitenu who will try and do it to them. And then the Arabs will right. come to their defense. This week, there were compliments paid at the, from the Knesset plenum on this question of increasing fines, because there are two groups that don't want fines increased, Haredim and Arabs. And Gafni, while he's screaming at the Chilonim that they forced Haredim into small apartments, also said, Ahmad Tibi, I'm with you, we go down together. So uh, right. we've always been tribes. So what the world is turning into now is something we're very good at. So I'm very comfortable. I mean, I'm very sad for the right, rest but of the world, 20%, but we're good at this. Those two populations now make up 20% of 30%. the population. And 30%. if you go into first 30%. grade, what? 30, Arab and Haredi? Yeah, Arab are 20% and Haredi are 10%. Yeah, but look at something really interesting about that. Them becoming... uh, Yeah, yeah, I mean... Good point. Arabs are actually easier to to count than Haredim because uh, they sign up for their education system, they speak their language, and... um, and and so it's it's sort of we're, we're sort of tracked in this country because we're the old Ottoman world. It's the way in Lebanon, right. you know, who's Shia and who's Sunni, and you don't have to ask them their religious views. But um, but um, but Haredim are a little harder to count just because they people do flip in and out, and they're raised in one education system and then switch and then don't identify as. It. But uh, let's say Haredim are about ten to twelve percent. Arabs are roughly seventeen percent. Again, where do you put Jerusalem? Where do you put you know the Christians? Right. Where do you put right? So um, 30% of the country. But something very interesting is happening as they get bigger. As the Haredim get too big to sustain with everyone else's taxes, Haredim are going to work. And they're going to work in high tech. And they're going to college. And they got to the point where 10 years ago, Shah started establishing women's technical colleges for Haredi mm-hmm. women. The political mm-hmm. leadership with Ravavadya's blessing started sending their women to college. Something that would have been, uh, uh, you know... An absolute no, no. Ten years before that, uh, so they they as they grow, they become more integrated because they have no choice. So again, I I, I I'm not worried. And Arabs now, their politics are collapsing and splintering over the question of do we? So you integrate? don't think this is something we have to worry about working on? You think yeah. that natural cultural evolution will resolve this? Because it's obviously the COVID situation is just a a particular example of this other, you know, the army issue, the work issue, the welfare issue. So I, 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 yeah, I think, I think that uh, uh, Khaviv, um, you know, points to a lot of very important um, trends that are happening and have been happening over the, over the years in the Haredi communities over the last really two decades. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think actually, I'm saying this as a, as a thought, not necessarily as anything right, um, absolute, but I, I think what we're seeing is this, um, that exact split in the Haredi world, where um, the people that are most, you know, out, most violent, most out there, most in the streets that we're talking about and going to the, uh, the funerals, setting buses the on fire, things, and, yeah. or yeah, or even the wed- the big weddings, for the most part, are those who are 
becoming or staying, wanting to stay and keep more insular, and not all the integration that Chavid is talking about, um, and and that and there's that whole Haredi world that is going in that direction, and that you're seeing that split uh, in the Haredi world really play out in responses to the COVID crisis. Um, and of course, so the I'll leadership play the gloom and doom devil's advocate, which is not usually my role in these conversations. But if you go to the numbers of like, let's say first graders, Israeli first graders, there are many more, it's more than 10, 12%. It's like 20 something percent are, are, are Haredi. And so this, these processes that you're saying that are leading to evolution, which will lead to better integration, at least to segments of the Haredi world, there's a time, there's a time factor, like how fast, you know, at that glacial pace of social progress, will that lead us to a healthier coexistence? And I don't know what options we have, but... It's, I, it's, I, really think, it's, I really think Israel has trained them and trained us and trained everyone who has come through its doors or grown up in its institutions to expect something. There is a shared expectation that an Israeli state will exist that will allow freedoms of speech, of religion, um, and, that, and no one is willing to give up on those expectations. And so I... I, I I'm comfortable with it now. Maybe I'm needless, maybe I'm com- maybe I'm wrong, and maybe uh, the Haredization of Israel is going to shatter our economy and destroy our, you know, technological edge, and ultimately make us unable to fight wars. And of course, we're going through history for the first time. But not to mention our social cohesion. I mean, you you, you talk about in the article how how even not only left wing but even right wing Israelis are turning. We don't want them in the government anymore. Um, you know, Israelis. I've proven how little social cohesion you can have while also having a tremendous amount of solidarity and social cohesion. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have hated each other, we Jewish tribes of Israel, for a very long time. We have marched in the streets against each other. We have even uh, engaged in violence against each other and united and went to war and built uh, a, a civic religion that, that that is horrified at this mutual violence, even as we've hated each other and run campaigns against mm-hmm. each other. I, I'm not... Yes, you know, I don't know. I, I, social cohesion is something that worries a lot of people, a lot of smart people. I respect the worry. I'm not entirely clear what it is. And um, hmm. and when I go to a Haredi, uh, it's a little bit like, you know, Avigdor Lieberman uh, may be a racist, may not be a racist. I don't know the man's soul. But he has this fascinating thing that he's been asking, this policy proposal for the last 20 years. He wants to liberate occupied Palestine. He wants to liberate the parts of occupied Palestine that uh, are majority Arab within the state of Israel. He wants a larger Palestinian state in the West Bank, cohesive, coherent, large, you know, uh, uh, and he wants it to include the Arab towns that border the Green Line, right? And Israel's Arab population has screamed In and protested and accused him of being a terrible, disastrous, you know, racist, of being the, the worst kind of racist. He's trying to destroy our lives. race yeah. baiting. Now, I, I don't respect Avigdor Lieberman all that much. I followed closely his work as a foreign minister and as a defense minister, and he didn't accomplish a great deal. I, I, it's not that I well, think... Well, he did, he did conduct a radio interview from the bathroom where we all heard the flush. That was <laughs> impressive. Did. That was imp- Ten years later, nobody forgets it. Um, 
he also he also started us on this trajectory of bringing of the last two years of elections. He did, and it made yep. him more popular at the polls. So it's hard to come to him yeah. with complaints. Um, exactly. But but it, what's fascinating to me is the Arab response. Because what do you mean? People aren't stupid. Nobody is stupid. Nobody is the cartoon. Mm-hmm. Everybody is a serious three-dimensional person. What do you mean it's racist to suggest that the part of occupied Palestine on which you live should be, ocup- should be a free Palestine? What do you mean that's racist? Why is that racist? Is it racist because being Israeli is fundamental to who you are? Is it only racist because you want the Israeli welfare state? Lieberman will give you the welfare state even in the state of Palestine. Believe me, to get rid of you, he'll give it to you. I think well, that they want the freedom also and the access to the they, Western lifestyle. And, and yeah. then we have these, these left-wingers who have actually polled Israeli Arabs, like the Israel Democracy Institute, and these phenomenal mm-hmm. Arab pollsters who have been polling Israeli Arabs, like this guy Yusuf Maklada, who does most of the Arab polling for most of the pollsters of Israel. And it turns out that about half of them really profoundly believe and feel that their main identity is Israeli. Sometimes it's 30% mm-hmm. when everyone's fighting. Sometimes it's 45 and 55 even percent. It depends a little bit on the news cycle. But it turns out that mm-hmm. they really feel Israeli. And so Lieberman actually is saying to them something that causes a tremendous amount of anxiety with them because they're saying, wait, mm-hmm. I'm Arab, but I'm very Israeli. When I go to the UAE as a tourist now, I want to be an Israeli tourist in the UAE. Mm-hmm. Who are you, Lieberman, to tell me I'm not Israeli? I was born in Israel. I'm Israeli. That's my passport. I don't want to be a Palestinian in, 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 as a citizenship. Long story short, I, we, ha, we have always been fractured into these tiny, weird tribes. And how do you think that applies to the Haredi community? And they are more Israeli than they've ever been. Alan will know better than me. You ever hear them curse? They curse in perfect Israeli. <laughs> Perfect. The tone, no, the timing, the humor, they're so completely Israeli. Utterly and totally in the kishkis, in their fundamental ways of looking at the world and thinking. I actually have been playing around in my mind with the this whole thing about um, the why Israel does not well, why Israel doesn't have a constitution, but the fact that we don't have a constitution that uh, Chaviv is saying earlier and the fact that it's not as serious a problem in terms of at least social cohesion as one may think. That America, what binds Americans together? Americans don't have a 3,000-year-old history. They don't have, uh, you know, a, a, a culture that goes back uh, 3,000 years. They don't have, you know, everything that's... A the feeling Jewish of ethno-national cohesion. Yeah, exactly. They have so a they concept that's supposed to unite the masses. Exactly. So they need a constitution because that that binds your that is your binding thing, and when that falls apart, you lose that. But but Israel Israel has something much much deeper, and I don't I don't think that excludes the Arabs. I think yeah, I think that brings the Arabs in in a sense when you have a strong sense mm-hmm. of that, so that you can bring others in um, and, and can yeah, be a and part and of the, that, especially the experience if you, of having nowhere else to go, and the experience yeah, of being exactly. refugees, and the experience. Of, yeah, yeah. There's a funny thing, you know, the Jews of Israel are not American Jews. And they're not all that yep. white. I mean, literally in mm-hmm. skin yep. tone, but also in culture. Right. We're, we're, mm-hmm. we're, we're about half European czarist Russian fleeing from places where we cannot live. And half Arab and Muslim and pretty dark Arab and Muslim. Yemenite, darker than any Palestinian. And, fleeing and, from places that they cannot live. Coming from places they cannot live. And that is, 
it's not it's not even just ethnic nationalism there's this there's one of the fascinating questions that linguists ask all the time uh, i just discovered this because a friend of mine happens to be learning gaelic and there is a gaelic learning program in the united kingdom to try and restore gaelic and there are people who speak gaelic now um and it's called ulpan.co.uk.co.uk or something like that and it's taken from the Israeli Hebrew ulpan because yeah. it turns out wow. that when 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 linguists go and look at attempts to resurrect dying languages, a tremendous amount of work is being done with Native American languages in the United States, Hawaiian, and there's 15 languages in California where the, the last 10 speakers are now 90. And, and they're just trying to get down the vocabulary, never mind the grammar, just to have something preserved from these languages. And then they look at the Jews, and the Jews brought back this language that no Jew spoke. Many Jews learned, but in a very, you know, Mishnaic and, and biblical Hebrew is... I don't think well, it's 40, for, for liturgy words. and study, but not not conversational it's not or a functional vocabulary. For life. Not a living language. You can't go to yeah. sleep with it. Herzl, as Herzl said when they said to him, "Why do they speak Hebrew in the Jewish state?" And he says, "You can't buy a train ticket in Hebrew, and you cannot buy right. a train ticket in biblical and Mishnaic Hebrew." But then they built it and they recovered it, and now it's literally a spoken living language. And 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 so that that is an energy, a cultural energy that comes Which, from a real social and historical reality that gives us the solidarity of being refugees, of having nowhere else to go. And I think it's a, something that Arabs identify with in Israel. They they actually interact with the Jews, unlike Palestinians, yeah. tragically. But Israeli Arab citizens actually interact with the Jews, and they 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 know something about the Jewish experience, and they also have experienced something. Not on the order of magnitude, not but but that being a minority that we we are this this country of tribes like Iraq, like Lebanon, like Syria, but we have an order. We figured out a way of doing it where we're not massacring each other all day long, like Lebanon, Syria, and, and Iraq, and 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 so this is not new for us, and I don't think it's hard for. A lot of people are talking about how this crisis for the Haredim is going to last many, 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 many years, and we're never going to really get over this, and this is going to change things fundamentally. I don't know what. I don't know about the future. I don't predict the future. I'm a simple person. But as I look to the future, what is it the Haredim need to learn? They certainly need to, you know, add a bedroom to every apartment. <laughs> but what, what do they need to <laughs> learn fundamentally that they're going to learn for this pandemic? Or any of us. What are we really going to change? Now, in America... There's so much they have to change. I mean, they need health care. But here, I'm not sure that this tribalism is a problem for us. We have been dealing with it. We have been dealing with very little else. We've structured our society around this tribalism for 72 years at least. I, I think it's good that, you, you know, it's very important they bring up the, the language piece is, is very telling. Um, and all, all Haredim in this country speak Hebrew. Yes, they speak Yiddish. Yiddish is a, there are plenty of, in the, in the, certainly in the Litva community, but there are Hasidic communities that really live in Yiddish. Yeah, but they also uh, in Hebrew. the outside world, their kids they speak all speak Yiddish. Hebrew. They're all fluent. What? Even the kids? Yeah, they speak Hebrew. They can speak Hebrew. Uh -huh. They can speak. There's nowhere. I don't think there's any. Even in in the deepest Haredish thing, they they still are able to function in Hebrew. They are. They 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 just do. I mean. And I and my my guess is, and I, I'm not a linguist. I haven't studied this and this and that. But my guess is, their Hebrew is better than uh, than Haredim in America's English. <laughs> mm. uh, who don't learn English, right? Also, don't learn English in school because, first of all, because you know Hebrew is integral to to 
to study, right? They're still studying yeah. and he, right? They're still learning. It's still Lush and Akodesh. It's the whole Yeah, it's still Lush and Akodesh. So that would be an interesting study. I would love to see a study on that. Yeah, that's an interesting hypothesis. My guess is if you compared, you know, equating, you know, Haredi insular communities in those two places, you'd find that the Hebrew is is. It's, it's not the same. For all the talks of insularity and distrust, yeah. it's different somehow in Israel. It's not the same yeah. level of... That's until, what you're suggesting. I mean, it, yeah. it's, it's not the same until you notice it. It's one of those things. It's like quantum mechanical systems. If you look <laughs> at it, yeah. you change it. So you have to be very careful yeah. not to look at it. But, you know, if I had told you that 10 years ago, the head of the United Torah Judaism, who happens to be a Gerer Hasid, represented the government in a, a Memorial Day ceremony for Israel's fallen soldiers and received a wreath from a female soldier dressed in pants and mm-hmm. put that wreath on the memorial for the fallen soldiers and was the official representative of the State of Israel at that memorial, at that commemoration, on Memorial Day for the Zionist entity, you would have told me that is impossible because it was impossible. It was Maybe impossible. not from Gera. Gera if, if it would be possible from anyone, I would have said it would have been from the Gera community. Okay. Because that's... that's. Uh, but they're yeah. all doing but, it. But even so, you're right. I'm they're not disagreeing with it. you. And I'm they're saying... doing it now, and they were not doing it 15 years ago. And it happened without anybody noticing and without anybody arguing. Their politics are turning Israeli. They're, they're turning right-wing, um, v- vaguely conservative. They could sit with the left more easily than other parties, right. right-wing parties. But, but generally conservative, social conservative, certainly... And, and they're turning very Israeli in their language and their humor and their media. You know, they don't have televisions, but wow, do they have popular news yeah. websites that are Haredi news websites. How did that ever happen when yeah, you're not allowed to have internet, right? Yeah. They're just normalizing. They have access, they see. They're normalizing in every way. And, uh, and, and if you point it out to them, then they get scared. So, so nobody tell them. So you're saying this. So you're saying this is an acute moment because of the pandemic, but the other stuff, the army stuff, the the welfare stuff, the the economic stuff. Well, how do you like this, Chaviv? You said you weren't going to give us uh, uh, an optimistic view on this. I withdraw I think my comments. You might have. I do not want to end up <laughs> with this being. <laughs> We won't tell anybody. You're, see, I think you're it, like the Haredim. I can't look and notice that you're being optimistic. Otherwise, it goes away. But Alan, Alan, you, you do disagree with me? I mean, I'm, oh, I think you're absolutely right. I actually, I actually 100% agree with you. I actually 100% agree with you. I, I, uh, I, I, I think that I think, I think actually that, maybe the one of the best things. Go ahead. Alan. Was that what Mike said earlier? Is I think one of the best things was what Mike said earlier. Oh, actually, they're just human beings, and they're going through a very difficult time, like the rest of us. Yep. And because of certain f- foundations and fundamental things in their culture, it's coming out in sometimes negative ways. But they're not the only ones, really. <laughs> Let's be and when honest. When the nation's under the pressure, we yeah. start to yell at each other. It's yeah. that's not first of all that because yeah. because it's the Jews who are just like everybody else, only more so. Right. And the Haredim are just like the rest of the Jews, only more so. And so these things, uh, these these things flare up. But I, I agree with you for the same reason that the Zionist endeavor to create a renaissance of the Jewish people is working. Is it working more slowly than we would have imagined? I don't care. Who who said our imaginations knew what we were talking about? Because the smart money was on it would never succeed at all, and so it succeeded from my perspective amazingly well. And I assume it will continue to con- to 
to to not end tribes to have a community of tribes the goal of a democracy we're not fascists we don't want everyone to be the same we want the different communities with their different approaches to live together and build and share and and that means in a family you fight and you shove and you elbow and then at the end of the day you right. hug each other and, and you I, know, I agree with you 100% I also feel like a lot of the anxiety is, is this sense of, of um, things being out of our control and by mm-hmm. things I mean our own society uh, a lot of the Israeli left is very, very anxious about all kinds of things that it talks about, like the collapse of the democracy and democratic norms and democratic institutions and liberal Israel is no longer liberal and all these things that they, they're they they're very deeply held anxieties and people know exactly what they mean when they say these things until mm-hmm. you ask them. And then they realize they don't really know what they mean. Give me a, a measure by which Israel today is less liberal than Israel 10 years ago, 30 years ago, and 50 years ago. Give me an actual measure, an, an, an Arab integration, on free speech, on gay rights. On, 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 uh, having Israel Hayom, that would be my example. But Israel Hayom is... Having, is, a, having an organ, a political, a government news organ. The, that's the, a little bit Soviet for my taste, more, but that's a pretty minor quibble. The news with, organs with, were more. Why? What? The news organs were more governmental what? in the past. And weren't they uh, newspaper, that's a good point. And the newspapers? Right. The newspapers were all political party newspapers. All yeah, them. you're right. You're right. That's what newspapers I were I totally, until now. Yeah. Israel Hayom is a return right. to the Israeli mean. What's really strange yeah, yeah, is yeah. that we've had something else for 20 years. That, yeah. But also, right, that's what I'm really talking but about. But you're right. The early years. Channel 13 leans right. Globes leans right. The marker leans left. These are the business journals. Channel 12 leans left. But in Channel 12, that leans left. You have Amit Segal constantly telling the leftists what they're doing wrong. We have right. this very rich, very... Israel Yom, I'm a little worried about for, for a different reason, which is foreign money. And foreign money is very interesting and important. I work for the Times of Israel. The Times of Israel, when it launched, our funder, our main funder, <laughs> posted an op-ed, the first op-ed, explaining <coughs> that he's funding us. So we're very transparent. And he's a Jew from Boston, a wonderful man. Um, really genuinely a wonderful man who has never contacted me and asked for coverage of any kind and just trusts mm-hmm. us and does not want to influence or to, which is very different from Israel Ayom. Um, but but mm-hmm. there is this question of foreign money and it's an important question that we have to ask. But but give me any you know give me any other measure. In other words, Arab representation. Uh, you know it, it, this was something that Barack Obama said because Barack Obama gets all of his information on Israel from American liberal Jews who get all their information mm-hmm. on Israel from merits. And and what mm-hmm. Barack Obama said was you know we have to worry about Israel not being true to its liberal roots from people like Golda Meir and and now somehow being less less liberal mm-hmm. and i'm thinking if you know anything about benjamin netanyahu and mm-hmm. anything at all about golda meir there isn't an issue not the media not the economy mm-hmm. not free speech not the palestinians not the palestinians on which benjamin netanyahu isn't more liberal than golda meir I, what are you talking about golda who said there's no such thing as palestinians right and and, and was not so worried about occupation and autonomy and all of these questions. Now, I'm not saying Benjamin mm-hmm. Netanyahu should be where you support, you know, maybe you support someone else in te- present-day Israel. All right. of Israel has shifted to the liberal in every way. And we still think that we've lost something. And I think that there's there's a sense of anxiety because um, we don't know what Israel is. We don't know what it's turning into. 
Um, you said now, mm-hmm. Michael, you said uh, it's not happening as quickly as we wanted, but it's happening. Well, mm-hmm. if it was happening quickly, I would be very suspicious. The Islamic Revolution in Iran happened very quickly and was the absolute disaster. Something is happening mm-hmm. here organically. Something is, is, mm-hmm. is, Israel is teaching us what it is, and we don't know what it is. And we don't really think about it well because we're so stuck in our... You know, when I tell people, guys, you know, Israel, we, we don't have almost anything that you would think of as a constitution if you're from the English-speaking world. We don't have institutions. We don't have checks and balances. What are our checks and balances? The prime minister, the executive branch, literally must have a a majority in the parliament or it can't be the executive branch. What are our checks Mm -hmm. and balances? And so we have the most powerful... We definitely don't have a separation of powers. Right. So we have the most powerful court in the Western world. And then we have a fight over whether keeping it powerful or weakening Mm -hmm. it is the more democratic option. We're terrible at talking about democracy. We're terrible at thinking Mm -hmm. through these things in any serious way. Everybody's tribal. Everybody's clinging to their tribe. We are becoming more liberal in the sense that the different communities and tribes are claiming a stronger seat at the table over the years. And that's a good thing, I think. And we don't really know what Israel is. It's teaching us what it is. And I think that's a great thing because it means that it's real. It's organic. Nobody's forcing it top down. There's no tyranny here accepting the question of occupation in the West Bank, which is a separate question, which we should talk about, and I don't want to ignore it, but in the, in the question of what you... Or, or, this, or the same prime minister for over a decade who's uh, manipulating the system, but okay. And he doesn't have a majority. I know, I don't right. understand. No, I, I think I, that's I, but, a story of the right. collapse of the left, not a story of Netanyahu's great uh, Absolutely. strength. Partially, Absolutely. no, but also Absolutely. you're focusing on what, you know, what the, what's in the glass, so, right. I mean, I, you can always show, you can always look at the glass half empty, but what you're arguing is look at what look at the half full, and 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 I would argue that that anxiety that you're describing is healthy to have a segment of the of the country with that anxiety that also informs and helps the country develop. Adolescence has these has so many anxieties about who am I and who should I become, and that helps you become a better adult. Absolutely, because you have those anxieties. So, so no, even I, I, that, you know. Netanyahu second You're not criticizing himself yeah. because because the left keeps warning that he's that right. he's bad. So he second guesses himself, and that's a wonderful thing. Uh, he should course, constantly. That's, that's a great thing. That doesn't mean yeah. we should believe yeah. our anxieties. It means we should listen to them, think about them, and, and then and then maybe appreciate that something is happening here bigger than what the left had hoped. I mean, Herzl's Israel that he writes about in Alt Neuland is a weird place. It's a really strange. <laughs> place and people should go and read it it's not that great of a novel uh it wasn't meant to be (laughs) literature it was meant to be a utopian political sort of vision Mm -hmm. um but uh it's a very we'd all be speaking german we'd all be speaking german we'd all be going to the opera uh the the Mm -hmm. temple mount will the the temple will have been rebuilt but as a kind of Mm -hmm. un world food program uh Mm -hmm. based there um very it, it has no army uh, it, 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 it has this political crisis where some rabbi wants to hate Arabs and expel Arabs and then the Jews vote him down. It's a very strange, mm-hmm. weird place. It's like 19th century Vienna version of what a Jewish state would look like. And by the mm-hmm. way, there were, there were not a lot of Yemenites in that Jewish state. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So none of these mm-hmm. visions re- are real. And they, we, don't have to, we don't have to, you know, and, and they talk about Herzl as the great visionary who envisioned the state. Well, he envisioned the very strange animal. 
Right. And but, he a, he, but he wasn't. But he wasn't a prophet. Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, I have four. Well, kids. maybe he was a prophet. Prophets I, are pretty vague. I have four kids, and they're telling me who they are. I try to tell them who they are, That's and right. they yell at me to sit down That's and right. shut up. You know. Also, he was writing at a time of utopianism, where there's lots of these utopian visions for all kinds of different societies. So. Right, right. He's a man. He yeah. was a 19th century Viennese German author. Right, of course. Yeah. And he can't. He couldn't see beyond doing that. Right. So the Yemenites have taught us what that looks like with Yemenites in it. You know. Anyway, I don't know what, what is, we're what's talking the about anymore. Quote, but to I want be a realist in Israel. You have optimism. to. Yeah. Yeah. No, and and I think it's coming from a, a real place. It's not. It's it's not a silly, rosy-colored glasses, Pollyannish optimism. It's an optimism that what Zionism accomplishes, it will continue to accomplish, and that yes, we always feel this sense of urgency and crisis every given moment, but that just means we're maturing to the next state, and we should we should we should we shouldn't be silly and Pollyannish, but we should expect. A richer, better future because of what we've accomplished so far. That is that is why we had you this week, Chaviv, to get that message uh, in a clear-eyed and honest way, uh, while but while also not taking our eyes off how complicated the situation is. So, thank you for thank you me very rant. much. It was very therapeutic. Man, we're always in for a Chaviv rant. We're always in. It's too much and ranting. I'm working on we, it. No, no, not for us. No, this is not where you practice not ranting. We love it, and we appreciate. And I, this this week, you know, you had to get. We, you're, you're taking time out of your evening, and we really appreciate it so much. As we always appreciate when you take your time with us. Thank it means you. Means a lot. Thank you. And for those, Chaviv mentioned his Twitter. Uh, it, it, whether you read English or Hebrew, what, what's your rate, Chaviv? Fifty-fifty, or it's more English. Don't be intimidated to follow Chaviv on Twitter if you're worried about Hebrew, because first of all, I think your Hebrew is pretty readable. But even to an you know, an immigrant, but uh, but also you tweet a lot in English. Uh, yeah, whatever bothers me right now. I'm really uh, worried about the Biden administration in Iran. Uh, so right now, a lot is in English. But uh, and very sarcastic. You know. <laughs> Follow Chaviv anywhere. If you want to see the most sarcastic, it's on Twitter, like everybody else. Yeah, and and you make good points. I always, I always, uh, I, I I look for you and listen for you anywhere, whatever podcast or whatever. Thank and you. I, I hope our re- our listeners do the same. Uh, and thank you guys. It's so very, thank you. Very fun and interesting. Yeah, I feel better. It's <laughs> <laughs> okay. good therapy. We're gonna thank get you, through Chaviv. this. Thank you. I think that's the bottom line. Woo-hoo. Thank you, Alan. Thank you, Mike. And we don't have to log off this minute, but it is the end of the episode, so I'm ending the recording. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.